The following is a hoop ball presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Howdy, everybody. Welcome to another week of Fantasy NBA. Today, a hoop ball presentation. I'm your host, Dan Bespris. That was a pause for dramatic effect. You can follow me on Twitter at Dan Bespris. You know how the drill goes at this point. D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. Hoop ball is hoop-ball.com or hoop ball tweets on social media. Hoop ball tweets. Hoopball fantasy still exists. It's not going anywhere, but I just figure it's the offseason, so this is your opportunity to get to know all the other stuff that's going on over at Hoopball. I want to start today's podcast on a very different note. It's a recruiting call, but it's not your typical recruiting call. Hoopball, and me in particular, we want to expand our podcast offerings. So, if you've got a show, or you're thinking about starting a show, or just now I said it, and then you thought, I should do a show, and you have questions on it, please do get in touch with me. We want to expand our podcast umbrella, and that's going to take people, dedicated folks, who are willing to put in a lot of time. You guys have seen how much time I've had to put into this show to make it what it is now. This is not a quick fix. This is not a get-rich-quick scheme. But there is a down-the-line path towards monetization on stuff like this. And everybody always ends up asking about that sort of thing. And it doesn't... This is very critical. Very critical. Listen very carefully here. It doesn't need to be sports. It doesn't. If you're an expert at anything, sports is, to me, easy because something happens every single day. So you can get yourself a daily podcast. It's much easier to monetize a daily show as opposed to, say, a weekly or a monthly one, unless you have a huge, huge following. But all of this stuff is stuff that we could talk about off air. So I did want to put that recruiting call out there. It's sort of a new, special one. Podcasters of all shapes and sizes, of all topics and sizes, Hit me up on Twitter. I don't want... Listen, I want you guys, podcast listeners, to sort of be the, the folks that get first dibs on all of this. So when you hit me up on Twitter, if you're going to do it, do so... I don't want to say covertly, but just don't... You know, don't blast it out into the world. Send me a note, at Dan Bespris, that just says, Hey, interested in podcasting. And I'll know what to do with it. I'll probably direct message you from there. At Dan Bespris, interested in podcasting. If you don't have Twitter, you can send an email to teamhoopball at hoop-ball.com with the subject line, interested in podcasting. And you don't even need to put anything in the body of the email. I'll write back at some point because those eventually get funneled down to me when podcast is in the subject line. And I'll say, what were you interested in podcast? So, There's my weird Monday recruiting pitch. I hope you guys are paying attention here because it's new, it's improved, and we are expanding in all sorts of weird directions. Or it could be sports. 
it just could it could be a different sport. Say, for instance, you think you've got what it takes to run a fantasy football show. Hit me up. Fantasy baseball. Hit me up. Fantasy hockey. There's an old joke. What the do I know about hockey is the punchline. But and that's the thing. I don't know that much about any of those fantasy sports, so uh, you're probably going to have to do a lot to convince me that you're the guy or gal, but there is a huge marketplace there that we want to tap into. So, again, could be sports, could be something else, could be a team in the NBA. Holler at me. And there you go. thought that was important. Wanted to do that right at the front end here. And I'm glad I did. I feel good about my decision there. Back to fantasy today after a playoffs-only Friday episode of the show, but we are going to talk playoffs as well. we got to do a quick weekend recap, and then we'll get back into the Yahoo rankings. Uh, We're pretty close to halfway through those things, if I'm not mistaken. Didn't we get to pick pick 50? Am I out of my mind? Is that where we left off? Son Whiteside at pick 50? I think so. That's the problem with not doing a fantasy show since Thursday. I've lost track of what the hell we were talking about. But anyway, let's talk playoffs for a minute here. First of all, the quick and dirty. Phoenix finished off the Denver Nuggets in a sweep on the Friday show. I did say I'm actually... I was like, look, this is the game that everybody thinks Denver is going to win because they're back at home. And I thought, I don't think Phoenix is going to take their foot off the gas in this one. And they didn't. Suns in a rout. Game did finally go over. (laughs) <laughs> on the game four on Sunday. Denver finally was able to get the pace up where they wanted it to be, but it still wasn't enough because they couldn't make their free throws. Phoenix did, and uh, almost all of them took 31 in that last ball game. I mean, some of that was just at the tail end, and Chris Paul was just amazing. I took some heat for saying the Suns were a championship contender, but after Sunday... It's not so insane. The Clippers and the Jazz still duking it out. Phoenix, plenty of time to prepare for either that might come their way. They've got a perfectly good shot at either of those teams. They probably would prefer the Jazz just because of the star power element. Phoenix, I would argue, probably has better personnel. But then there's the other side of, look, the Clippers don't really have the type of paint coverage And Chris Paul's going to get around a screen. You can switch it, then he'll take somebody out to the perimeter, and Clippers will probably go small if that was the matchup. Jazz won't. So Suns will put Rudy Gobert into a pick-and-roll, get him into drop coverage, and Chris Paul will take mid-rangers the whole game. That'll be, hope you guys like 48 minutes of Chris Paul taking 16-footers, because that's what it'll be. Should be a good series regardless of who comes out of that Utah-LA set. But we got a long way to go on that one, and so we don't have any prices to talk about on that one. Also, over the weekend, Kyrie Irving badly sprained his ankle. He came down on Giannis's massive foot. That thing was like a clown shoe. I know everybody was was watching the Kyrie Irving injury, and it was a pretty nasty ankle turn. Kind of folded over it sideways a bit. I was looking at how absurd it was that Giannis could stand where he was standing, and his shoe could still be in Kyrie's landing space. Which, by the way... Now, Jeff Van Gundy was sort of harping on this going into the halftime break, I think, that that really should have been a foul on Giannis sliding under because he wasn't there. He was going to box out Kyrie on his own. I mean, that's a tough thing to police. That's the Bruce Bowen stuff, but he did it on purpose. I don't, it, this didn't look like it was any malintent, and you can talk about the Warriors losing half of their guys in their last playoff run before 
KD left town and Clay's missed two seasons in a row now. That's the nature of the beast. The team that survives the playoffs is often the team that wins the title. The Nets are not surviving the playoffs. And I don't know why I thought they might or why any of us thought they might. KD couldn't make it through the regular season. Kyrie hasn't made it through a regular season in five years. James Harden is on the wrong side of his durability peak. He's starting to get that soft tissue stuff. And this wasn't even, you know, I guess Harden played into the bubble a little bit. Not that deep, though. Got trounced by the Lakers in the second round. I mean, that's something. I guess you could blame a little bit on that. But the thing is, Brooklyn got two of the most transcendent offensive players in the NBA, and KD's also quite good on defense. But they're also two of the most injured, lately at least, on, on the Durant front, guys in the NBA. Certainly some of the two most injured superstars. So there was always going to be an element of luck. Can, could... Brooklyn get through the playoffs without somebody getting hurt. And now two of their three stars are down. Milwaukee's tied the series up by finally hitting some three-pointers in that last ball game, And they can just unleash everything they've got on Kevin Durant going forward. They're going to make him a volume scorer. They're going to take other guys and say, look, all right, so this game going back to Brooklyn, you're going to get better performances from the role players, guys. Uh, like Jeff Green, Joe Harris, those guys will be better at home than they are on the road. But Milwaukee doesn't have nearly as much to game plan for. They had, Once Harden went down, I thought Milwaukee was going to win the series. And then they looked ugly even with no Harden in there. I, Milwaukee just couldn't get decent looks on offense. And they settled into some of that bad stuff in the second half of that game yesterday anyway, which was Giannis trying to do too much. Milwaukee's best offense is Giannis as the screener and roll man. Because defenses don't care about him shooting. He's going to keep chucking every once in a while, try to prove that they have to guard him out there. But you saw what they were doing. Giannis's defender just sagged to the edge of the paint. The whole ball game. So it's super easy to pack the paint when that's going on. Now, if you make Giannis the screener, then suddenly his man has to come up to deal with the ball handler. So if you put someone, if you put the ball handler, or if you select someone who can knock down a three-pointer, Giannis can take their man right off of him. And now all of a sudden, Giannis's man has to come out to the three-point line, or most of the way there. You either surrender, in a lot of cases here, it was a Drew Holiday open three-pointer or a Chris Middleton open three-pointer. Milwaukee's going to have to be okay with those looks if that's what Brooklyn chooses to do. And it's probably their best defense because if... And it's Blake Griffin for long stretches of that last ball game, and it was it was Joe Harris for stretches as well. Like these are guys that are trying to deal with Giannis Antetokounmpo. The reason they're even remotely effective is because he keeps trying to take them. Jeff Green drew charge after charge, just waiting back near the paint. Giannis's ninety foot euro step doesn't do him a whole lot of good if his defender is still six feet away. <laughs> And you saw it for stretches in that ball game. Middleton, Giannis, pick and roll. Middleton, the ball handler, come around a Giannis screen. If Griffin came out towards the three-point line to defend him, Giannis can roll. And suddenly he's past his defender, and there's no one back there that's going to slow him down. And if someone does rotate, then you've got wide-open shooters probably in the corners. <laughs> P.J. Tucker, 13-7. and seven. 
So the offense is pretty simple here. The Bucs don't have that much to think about, and yet somehow they keep settling into this, all right, Giannis, you go ahead and you do stuff. Even though they're not respecting his shot at all, and they don't need to. All that said, I do still think Milwaukee, and I mentioned it to you guys on Friday's show, I said, why not throw a quarter unit on these teams that are down two games to none? I think it was the Clippers and the Bucks at that point. I even had someone tweet at me, yeah, I put some money down on Milwaukee. Well, not only did they come back and win two in a row, but they also got lucky with Kyrie getting hurt. We talked a bit last week about Philly being kind of figuring things out against Atlanta. You, you just you knew it was coming. Clint Capella's not going to last a whole ball game against a healthy Joel Embiid. Danny Green is out for a couple weeks with a calf strain, but Philly does, at least in this matchup, they have the horses to deal with whatever wing guys Atlanta's going to throw at them. Danny Green was doing a nice job on you know the Bogdan Bogdanovich-type player. He was not having a ton of success with Trey Young, so they've moved some bodies around to, to deal with that. But Philly's going to be real tough to stop. They're going to get the looks they want because they have... We've talked about this before, so I don't want to go into too much repetitive detail. They have the guy that can break down the anchor on the opposing defense. Clint Capella is the guy that makes everything go for Atlanta on D. And with him being forced to deal with Embiid for the whole ball game, there's just... There's no fail-safe. There's no, like, extra player they can throw in there. So I don't I don't know how Atlanta keeps up going forward. Philly's now taken a two-game-to-one lead. Uh, those two teams play tonight with Philly favored by three in Atlanta. I mean, you're going to get the Hawks' best punch in this ballgame tonight. That's where we'll turn our attention now since we were just talking about that series. 225.5 is the total. Their last ball game uh, was on Friday. That one went to 238. Philly shot 58% in the ball game and took 39 free throws. I don't think that the free throw number is going to be quite so absurd here in game four. In fact, the teams combined for 71 free throws in that ball game. That, friends, is a lot after the teams combined for 40 in game two. In Philadelphia, a game that ended at 220 and went under the posted total. These teams are getting a lot of time off between ballgames. They had two games off on the travel day, and then they had two games off again over the weekend. I can't fully understand how that one makes any sense. So that's my reticence with betting the under. Everything else suggests the under is the play. Uh, Philly overachieved in their game by almost 20 points on pace, mostly because 58% shooting and 39 free throws. And Atlanta, not to be outdone, they also basically overperformed by about a bucket. So that game probably should have ended on pace at least around 220 and gone under. Instead, it went over by quite a lot. Take away those free throws, this game doesn't go over by, by probably doesn't go over at all, actually. I don't know, maybe, we'll see. Regardless, I lean towards the under. My, my Again, my hesitation is that they've had two days off, so these teams have as much energy as they're going to have during a playoff series or during the playoffs at all, probably. But two games off and then a game, another two games off and then a game, you might see them come out of the gate running, and uh, so you might see a bunch of points put up early in this one. I do, however, lean to the under in that game. Not much of a lean on the side. Uh, you'll see Atlanta probably come out kind of slug first, but I do think Philly ultimately wins this game. And I, I don't know that Atlanta wins another ball game 
in these playoffs. They've ran into a really bad matchup. That's a real bad matchup. They would have been far better off. Uh, shoot, Atlanta would have been better off with Brooklyn than Philly because of the the big man situation. You've got Clint Capella, you've got some defense, but they don't really have him in this one. Meanwhile, Clippers favored by five, total of 223 and a half in their game with the Utah Jazz. Last ball game, Clippers put up a buck 32 by themselves in a game that went over the posted total by 16 points. Clippers obviously covered the five point spread on Saturday. And as we break that ball game down, there are a few important things to look at. Number one, the pace wasn't that fast. The score belied the tempo. It was a walk-it-up type of ball game, but the Clippers just made every damn jump shot that came their way. Batum, 17 points on nine shots. Reggie Jackson, 17 points on eight shots. Paul George, 31 points, six three-pointers. Kawhi, 34, 12, and five on 24 shots himself. Not a ton of free throws, oddly enough, so there is that area for wiggle room. But again, if you're just, and I mean this, this is fuzzy math style, if you're just looking at pace alone, the Jazz were actually right on point with their 106. They put up pretty much what you'd expect because they didn't shoot the ball that well, but they made 19 damn three-pointers. Remember how last week I said you're going to see both these teams probably at 23s in a ball game? That was probably as close as you're going to get. I may have been a bit hyperbolic. 19 for each team in that game on Saturday. Clippers, not surprisingly, went way over their expected final outcome of this one by about 26, 20, 25, 26 points. 19 threes and 56% shooting will do that for you. So slightly into the under on Clippers Jazz, if only because, the, again, I, like, I didn't see the type of running that would normally lead to 238 combined points. So slightly into the under in both ballgames, not much of a feel on the side, oddly enough, for the two games coming up tonight. And we'll talk Milwaukee-Brooklyn a bit more tomorrow, since that's when they play their next ballgame. And we already know, by the way, that Kyrie Irving is out for that ballgame. So that's already done. Already done, Ski. Reminder, you guys, if you want to get in on the pod game, I'm dropping that a few times here in this show. Uh, let's go back and try to figure out what the hell we were talking about on our Thursday show. That is, <laughs> that's really the one. Can I? Uh, I think I've got this right. Pretty sure we got through the top 50. And so we'll just pick up with a general idea from there. This is probably not going to last us the whole week as I look at it now. I had sort of set aside two weeks for this breakdown but I, I don't think it's going to go quite that far. But let's just plot along a little bit further and see where we get. The next grouping, which was Gordon Hayward, Miles Turner, DeMar DeRozan, C.J. McCollum, Malcolm Brogdon, Buddy Heald, Michael Porter Jr., T.J. Warren, Draymond Green, and Clint Capella. That's 51 through 60 on Yahoo. Pre-ranks from this year. Oh, quick reminder to those that weren't, maybe some of you were out of town last week, something like that. This is a look at Yahoo's preseason ranks. The end of season ranks for those players by totals and on a per game basis, and then what we can potentially learn from it. What you may recall was that the 41 through 50 range was arguably was one of the worst fourth round type of predictions that Yahoo's ever given. One of the worst since we've been tracking these numbers. I mean, they were so far off on a per game basis, missed by four rounds, by totals, missed by eight. Rounds. Point of comparison, 
The uh, 41 through 50 range last year was actually not very good either. Will Barton, Gary Harris dragging the numbers down a lot, a lot, a lot. Um, sort of uh, two years ago. Apologies, not not last year. Um, but overall, the one thing that I think we were having a lot of success talking about as we worked through this stuff, because at this point, once you get past 50, I don't think it's that important to, to look at individual stuff. Um, TJ Warren was a very big albatross in the 51 through 60 range. If you pull him out, uh, which again, hard to do because we didn't know that he was going to miss the entire season, but we did hear reports that he was dealing with some stuff, quote unquote, some stuff coming into the year. So that's a guy that you probably avoid. Although then we heard he was going to start the year and play healthy. So that one was a tough one. We fell on that. I fell on TJ Warren in one spot and I held him for too long. I'm sure you guys did as well. But on a per-game basis, missed by just under three rounds, the 51 through 60 range. And if you pulled out TJ Warren, uh, that does drop pretty significantly. The uh, like three, almost almost by a half, honestly, because it was about 340 combined slots missed. Divided by 10, that's how we got there. Absolute value, that's what we're working with here. So if you pull out 184 of that 340, you're left with uh, just a shade under a buck 60. Divide that by 9, so now you're under 20. So you're talking about like a round and a half, a little more than a round and a half, the miss on a per-game basis. So it generally did pretty well, aside from TJ Warren, and he was also a big factor in messing it up on a totals basis as well. If you pull him out, the totals only missed by about two rounds. But what I want to do with you guys in each of these blocks of 10 is play the game we were playing on Thursday. Need a refresher? That's fine. That's what I'm here for. While I might not remember exactly where we left off by numbers, what I do remember quite clearly is that a tool we were using and we will definitely use again when we get next season's numbers from Yahoo, which is probably going to be after free agency. So I'm looking at you, August. Uh, is let's look at the names on this list and just say who of these guys could possibly finish inside the top 50 on a per-game basis. Because now we're shooting above the marker. We're shooting above the marker. Remember how, like, when, when we were talking about the 21 through 30 range, I was like, hey, who of these guys could, could finish on a per-game basis inside the top 40 or some? Well, now, as we move later into the draft, our goal is not necessarily just to get guys who are in the vicinity of where you drafted them. In fact, we are hunting for guys who can outperform that marker. And I think we had a lot of, of success predicting whether Yahoo was going to have a good 10-pick run by seeing how many guys in that 10 chunk whether it was 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, or 10, actually fit our criteria of handicapping. And what we figured was that, look, if they're getting like 7 or 8 out of the 10, that's actually not really good enough. Whatever you want to say, as 6 to 8, somewhere in the averaging 7 range. That's not good enough. The 10 chunks that Yahoo did well on were the ones where 8, 9, or even all 10 of the players had the ability to get over 
that marker, whatever marker we were setting. So let's try that game now with this 51 through 60 stretch. Do we think Gordon Hayward could have been a top 50 guy? Yes, I do think so. Miles Turner, yes. DeMar DeRozan, yes. CJ McCollum, yes. Malcolm Brogdon, And it was a maybe. He had that really nice stretch the previous year, and then he ended slowly. So we'll say yeah. Coin flip, yeah. Buddy healed, yeah. He had a chance. He had a chance. Now we're going on a per-game basis here, so, you know, bearing in mind. TJ Warren, Michael Porter Jr., those guys are both yeses, although then Warren got screwed up. Draymond Green, yes. Clint Capella, yes. I would argue that maybe all 10 of these guys could have top 50 potential. So it's not that surprising that when we pulled out the TJ Warren misfire, even on a per-game basis, this ended up being a really impressive group of 10. By totals, remember we said by totals it was like about uh, two rounds, and on a per-game basis, only missing by like 18, 20 picks? On average, in one direction or another, actually, interestingly here, uh, if you pulled out TJ Warren, then this grouping, not absolute value, just averaging the, the total miss size of this group, was like le- less than one, I think, if I'm not mistaken. It was something... It was something crazy. I don't. I, uh, let me make sure I have the numbers here on this one. It went down by that and went up by that. What did it actually come out to here? It was there, and then it finished off at at what number? Yeah, if you pulled out T.J. Warren, it was actually a positive number, plus one hundred, meaning that on average, the group, the picks in this ten chunk, were actually underranked by just under a round. By about 10 slots. That's amazing. That tells you that your odds of hitting in the 51 through 60 range, at least on a per-game basis, were extraordinary. Only three players were overdrafted in this group, and one of them was overdrafted by one. So really, two out of eight players in the 51 through 60 range got overdrafted. TJ Warren was one of them. And the other was Buddy Heald, who, oddly enough, was so damn durable that he overperformed his mark by totals. Here, let's look at it from another perspective. By totals, if you pull out, well, even if you don't pull out T.J. Warren, by totals, the uh, running tally was about negative negative 38. So not great. <laughs> not terrific. But, but, if you pull out T.J. Warren, once again, it ends up positive. Not by a lot. It's actually pretty close to uh, net zero there. But that's amazing. That's absolutely flabbergasting. The 51 through 60 range was maybe the most accurate chunk that Yahoo had in the draft. I guess you could probably talk about the second round being better because the misses were all very small. But the fifth round, or, or sorry, sort of the, I guess it's the sixth chunk, 51 through 60, whatever we've been calling it, the sixth chunk here, 
more like the fifth round, was pretty freaking good. Not surprisingly, it's because a lot of the guys on that list fit our mold of, could they be a top 50 guy? All right, let's try the next one. 61 through 70. Here are the names. DeJounte Murray, Tobias Harris, Lonzo Ball, Kristaps Porzingis, Rob Covington, Kelly Oubre Jr., Jaron Jackson Jr., Thomas Bryant, Kobe White, and John Wall. Let's play the per-game contest once again. Which of the players in this group of 10 could be top 50 guys on a per-game basis? Not what they ended up doing, but what we would have predicted they would be able to do going into the season. I'd have had DeJounte Murray inside the top 50. He actually ultimately wasn't but I'd have had him there. And listen, if you drafted him, you probably felt generally okay with what you got. He was at, he was he beat his mark by totals. Tobias Harris, yeah, that was the layup to end all layups and I'm just mad beyond mad that I didn't get my guy because you guys kept drafting him before me and it's why I got to play in leagues that aren't all freaking hoop ballers. People that listen to the podcast. Lonzo Ball, um I'm going to say yes. I thought he had the chance to get to that top 50 marker. He actually did finish at 46. By averages, he was more healthy than people gave him credit for this year. Not great, but it actually, it, it wasn't like a season-ending type of thing. Kristaps Porzingis is a, is a weird case study, because I'd have just said, well, yes, he could finish inside the top 50, but he also falls into our don't draft injured players thing. So yank him out of the board. We're not going to deal with him here. Rob Covington, yeah, I'd have had him top 50. He finished at 58, so he didn't quite make it there. By totals, he was inside the top 50 or excuse me, by averages, uh, he was number 19 by total, so uh, durability was a massive asset there. Kelly Oubre Jr., uh, I wasn't convinced he was a top 50 guy on the Warriors. I thought maybe he was someone that I was looking at, uh, so we'll call, it, we'll call it a half credit because I wasn't staunchly opposed to Oubre, but top 50 would have been a bit of a reach. Jaron Jackson Jr. injured to start the year, so just throw him out of our bucket. Kobe, or sorry, Thomas Bryant. Uh, top 50, probably not. I don't think I quite had him there once they traded for Russell Westbrook. So let's go no on Thomas Bryant. I still liked him. I thought him getting drafted around 70 was a pretty accurate place to get him. And it did look like he was going to settle somewhere in that neck of the woods. I know he finished at 100, but he was trending up as he learned to play with Russ and Beal. Uh, but he's a no. Kobe White is a no. His fantasy game isn't close to top 50. And John Wall is a no because in nine category, even when he was healthy, he wasn't really a top 50 guy lately. So my prediction would be, based on the fact that of those 10 guys, Murray, Harris, Ball, Rocco, and maybe Kelly Oubre, call it four and a half or maybe five out of the 10, I'd say had top 50 potential. And then if you, if you take out the injured guys, then you get sort of a, a, a different beast. So this is, by the way, this is going to be tough data to analyze because the injured guys on a per-game basis, JJJ was number 64, so he only missed his ADP by three slots on a per-game, but <laughs> by totals, yeah, he missed it by, you know, 300, basically. So we're going to have to look at this two different ways. By averages... It didn't look like this round was that much of a disaster. Uh, missed by about three rounds on average, with John Wall being a pretty big miss, Kobe White being a pretty big miss, Kelly Oubre being a pretty big miss. Those are the, the big misses. Then a couple guys sort of on the positive direction 
KP was actually a big positive on a per game. Tobias Harris was a pretty big positive on a per game. Thomas Bryant was a, a medium-sized negative on the per-game basis. So it wasn't overwhelming. There were no misses on the per-game side of over 100. However, it doesn't tell the whole story because the reason we dodge guys like Jaron Jackson Jr. and Kristaps Porzingis, and those really were kind of the first two don't-draft-injured-players names we've looked at so far, is because by totals, things get mucked up real fast. By totals... This group of 10 missed by eight and a half rounds. Yeah, it was real bad. It was real bad. And it didn't start terribly either, because DeJounte Murray by totals only missed by 26. Tobias, 41. Lonzo, 2. Kristaps Rupsingas actually only missed by 23. He wasn't the biggest offender on the, the total side. Rob Covington missed by 46 in the positive direction. Ubre by 71, negative. JJJ 290, Thomas Bryant 320, John Wall 170, Kobe White 41. So there were big issues in this chunk, and not surprisingly, it wasn't a good one for Yahoo's pre-ranks. Let's see if this path continues to tell the right story for us. 71 through 80, and then we'll probably take a break for the day. I don't know. Hey, hit me up if you want to do a podcast. See that? Snuck it right into the middle there. Eric Bledsoe. Derek White, Lowry Markinen, Stephen Adams, Marcus Smart, Andrew Wiggins, Wendell Carter Jr., Kevin Love, Colin Sexton, and Julius Randle. We probably need to put a new barrier here because of these 10 players, probably only two have legitimate top 50 potential this year. Really only two, I thought, could get inside the top 50. Uh, And those players would have been Marcus Smart, would have been my guess for one of them. Uh, and then your other one would have been like a half credit on Kevin Love, Colin Sexton, or Julius Randle. But again, talking about this on a per, strictly on a per-game basis. So top 50 isn't really fair. If you were going to be- grade this bunch on top 50 potential, there's almost none. In fact, I'd argue that the, the group of 10 from 81 to 90 actually probably has more guys in it that have top 50 potential. So, you know what? Maybe we can stick with it. All right. So let's keep the top 50 barrier up here. Or even if we went top 60, that still really only gives you Derek White probably sneaks into the mix. Uh, Derek White, Marcus Smart, Kevin Love, Colin Sexton, Julius Randle. If you went top 60, I think five out of the 10 guys probably hit that marker. So... Would I guess then that this probably wasn't a very good run for Yahoo's pre-ranks? I certainly would guess that. I'd say this is probably one of their worst that we've seen so far. And indeed, this was one of the bad ones. Eric Bledsoe was a huge negative performer. By the way, this one was one also that I think it's important to note was a pretty big negative distance missed. Whereas some of the other ones kind of averaged out a little bit. This was a, this is a horrific negative the last group of 10 was an average miss size of negative 16.5 or an absolute value miss size of 36.5. This group of 10 had an absolute value miss size of 60 and a, a non-absolute value, an actual total miss size of negative 51.5 per slot. So they were all misses in the wrong direction. Yeesh. Kind of like that Brutally awful 41 through 50 range we talked about. That was also a really bad one. Third round wasn't very good either. 
Okay, so I, I should also mention to you guys, on a per-game basis at least, this was the worst round that Yahoo had, or worst chunk of 10, 71 through 80. So our game turns out to be quite accurate, and for different reasons for different players. Eric Bledsoe, who somehow was getting overdrafted, luckily we ended up dodging him everywhere because he was shooting up the boards I thought he was going to go around 100, and I was going to say, hell yeah, take him at 100, and that would have been really bad also. Luckily, he started going at 71, and I said, nope, too rich for my blood. I thought he maybe could get into the 70s in a good year, so no. Derek White was one that I liked, except he was hurt to start the year, so we probably ended up leaving him alone, and that was a good idea because by totals, he was a garbage player. Larry Markinen, he was someone we thought might have had some bounce-back appeal, but... Just too many other bodies on that team, so he was not someone we were targeting. Steven Adams was not someone we were targeting because Zion was playing center for the Pelicans quite a lot. I thought there was a chance that uh, Adams could do similar to what he did last year, but even that was asking too much. Marcus Smart I liked. I thought he was going to be a much better play this year. He ended up actually underperforming. Sort of weird. I'll take the hit on that one. I thought Marcus Smart at 75 was going to be a layup, and he was uh, under that mark by about a round on a per-game side and uh, by quite a bit more by totals because Boston, of course, got leveled by injuries and COVIDs and all that stuff. Andrew Wiggins turned out to be one of the better picks in this group, mostly because he was super durable and he wasn't that far under his ADP on a per-game basis. Wendell Carter Jr. was a disaster again. There was nothing about his game that said he should go at 77. Kevin Love, that was going to be a big-time dice roll no matter what you did there because you knew he wasn't going to play enough games to be useful. So it was Roto only, and he didn't hit that mark anyway. Colin Sexton ended up being a relatively predictable, reliable back-end type of dude. And then Julius Randle was your one big hit in this one, and I wasn't willing to take the plunge on him anyway. So that round was a mess. Big negative misses because of injury. Derek White sat out a bunch of games. Uh, Markinen missed a bunch of games. Adams actually missed some games, although not as many as other dudes. So we'll leave him out. Wendell Carter Jr. got traded, missed time. Kevin Love missed a ton of time. So four injured guys played a role, two of whom, uh, well, maybe more like one. Well, two. Derek White was hurt to start the year, and we knew Kevin Love was not going to play very many games this season. So two of those guys you kind of knew going into it. And then on the average side, we already talked about that. How, only four or five of those ten guys had any chance of clearing their ADP on a per-game basis. So why? The only way, if and we talked about this a little bit in the second round and how you almost draft the other way around. In the second round and first round, you're looking for guys that might get anywhere near their ADP on a per-game basis, but you want dudes that are playing 90% of their games. In this range, I'm more willing to take a plunge on a guy who might be a little bit dinged up if I think he has big-time per-game upside. So, like, Derek White, if he wasn't going in the 70s, if he was going, like, 100, I'd have said, yeah, go for it. Even though he was hurt because I figured he was going to have that Kemba-like appeal where once he got right, he was going to be really, really useful. But the question was how long. In any event, we're still not drafting injured guys. So nothing, nothing we talk about today is going to change that because, look, Kemba Walker, on a per-game basis, was probably a big win. I think we can call him a big win. He was number 60. He was generally drafted around 100. 
That's a really big hit on the per-game side, but he basically only played half the games this year, so by totals, he was outside the top 115. So even when those ones hit, they still don't really hit. Kristaps Porzingis was probably your best case scenario, and even he was still, by totals, two rounds back of his ADP. I'm excited to do the last 20 and do some summation-type stuff over the rest of this week, and we will continue with that conversation tomorrow. Again, folks, if you want to get into the pod universe, hit me, at Dan Bespris on Twitter. Shoutouts, manscaped.com and my bookie. We'll tell you more about those guys tomorrow. We'll have a little bit of bonus promo on our Tuesday show because today was bonus recruitment. Fantasy NBA Today is hoop ball presentation, and it's back at you tomorrow. Enjoy the playoffs. Later. This has been a hoop ball presentation.